Today, on the premiere episode of the All Things Pizza podcast, I sit down with Brooklyn's own Paulie G to discuss his hat collection, his new slice shop, and his love for the New York Yankees. Plus, we'll talk about how he comes up with the creative names for his pizzas, how he helped with the launch of Mike's Hot Honey, and how often Polly looks at Yelp reviews of his pizzerias. Let's do this. Yes, welcome to the premiere episode of the All Things Pizza podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fearman. And this year, my pizza blog, I Dream of Pizza, is turning 10 years old. Over the years, I've gotten the opportunity to meet so many amazing people in the pizza community. So in conjunction with the blog's 10-year anniversary celebration, I decided to start a podcast to uncover the stories and personalities behind the world's most beloved food. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by the legendary Paulie G., His story is well-documented, but in short, he left his corporate job to pursue his passion around pizza, which led him to open his namesake pizzeria in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, back in 2010. And now he owns a number of outposts around the country, plus he just opened a new slice shop around the corner from his original restaurant, which we'll talk about momentarily. But first, Paulie, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a great honor. It's even more of a great honor to be the initial um, whatever you want to call it <laughs> guest you're a guest uh, uh, <laughs> the, the honor is mine <laughs> very good so. thank you so much for being here um want to get to the slice joint because i know that's uh hot news off the press um, but first wanted to start by asking you about your hats you're known for wearing hats of other pizzerias businesses you support when did that start it started back in the 90s when I just collected hats. I had a hat fetish, and wherever I'd go, I'd collect hats, particularly ski resorts. I love getting staff hats, hats that you couldn't purchase. And the collection just built up and built up and built up. And when uh, I opened up the pizzeria, I decided that I was going to wear hats from other pizzerias and pay tribute to them rather than wearing our own hats. And to this day, you're not allowed to wear Paulie G logo stuff and Paulie G's. Um, I, I've gotten to the point, I have so many hats, people send them to me, and I love it, please keep sending them, um, but I have to now limit my collection to pizza hats. I'm up to, uh, I would say, about 150 pizza hats. That's a lot of pizza hats. Uh, when you wake up every morning, how do you decide what hat you're going to wear that day? I don't. Okay. I decide what shirt I'm going to wear. Okay. And the hat and the shirt always has to match. Okay. Okay. So we usually do it that way. And I had the great honor recently, um, as I always point out to people, uh, my hat and shirt always has to match, just like Turtle on Entourage. And lo and behold, a couple of months ago, I looked down to check up on my guests, and there sat Turtle, okay? And I got to tell him how I tell other people how I, I pay tribute to him by having my hat and shirt match. Very cool. Do you want to share what hat you're wearing today? Today, I'm wearing a Greenpoint beer and ale hat. Not a pizza hat, but it's considered a pizza hat because uh, it's, a, it's a product that we serve at Paulie G's, both the, both the slice shop and the, our flagship. Uh, the reason I'm wearing it is because last night I was wearing another 
green hat to match my green shirt, uh, Pizza Pilgrims from, from London. And I felt that um, since I was re-wearing the shirt this morning until I shower, um, I would wear a different hat at least. <laughs> and you mentioned people can send you hats. Where where do you like to receive those hats? Where should people send them to? I love to receive those pizza hats. Only pizza Only hats pizza now. Hats. Um, at 60 Greenpoint Avenue, Brooklyn, New York, 11222. Great. And is there a hat that you have been eyeing that you've not been able to get your hands on that you're particularly uh, interested in receiving? Yes, but I doubt I'll ever receive it. Back in, uh, I guess it was 2006, uh, there was a gentleman on a ski shuttle bus going over to Vale who had a Barilla hat with an with a embroidered Bodie Miller autograph on the back. And I tried to bribe that guy to get that hat, and there was just no way I was getting it. Uh, and I even... We saw him after that. Turns out he was our server that night when we went to have dinner at um, a place called Peppy's there. And even though I left him a good tip, he still wouldn't sell me the hat. Maybe the route is through Bodie Miller. <laughs> yeah, I got to find him. He's probably in the mountains somewhere. Probably so. Um, very cool. So I want to get into the new Slice Place, which just opened um, after... About nine years, eight years after your original pizzeria, um, tell me sort of where the idea for the slice shop came about, and you know what was the process for turning this idea into reality. We um, we did takeout for the first few years we were open, and uh, you know I really preferred people coming into my my spot to eat the pizza because I felt it was it's much better right out of the oven, but. Um, I got to the point where I felt that we were doing well enough that I could afford to cut takeout, and I did that, and there was a lot of backlash. There were people who were upset that they couldn't get takeout anymore, and uh, particularly people who wanted to go to Transmitter Park, sit there and have a pie. And I, you know, I had been trying to expand next door, the original restaurant, and that wasn't working. The guy who kind of indicated he was going to rent the space to me didn't. Um, and I had put a little bit of money aside for that. And I thought about perhaps I could open up a, a slice shop and serve New York-style pizza, which does travel well and does reheat well, unlike you know our wood-fired pizza. So I approached um, a pizza shop on the corner. Uh, I offered to, to buy the place from him, uh, if, if he was ever interested in selling. And he indicated that, yeah, he kind of was interested in doing that. And then he strung me along for at least six months, okay? Kept on raising the price. There, there was something going on there. I really wasn't interested in selling. And but how long ago was this initial conversation when you initially approached him? The initial conversation was approximately three years ago. Okay. Perhaps three and a half years ago. Okay. Um, because I was looking for a while after that. I said, let me look and see if I can find something else in the neighborhood. Because you know, I never wanted to own more than one pizzeria. Jason indicated that I own places in Chicago and Baltimore, Columbus, and Miami, but it's really my friends who own those. I helped them open them up, and um, I, I wanted to be able to stay in my spot and, and tend to it and, and in, interact with guests, which is something I love to do anyway. Uh, you know, taking a page out of Danny Mai, literally taking a page out of Danny Mai's book, Setting the Table, I felt that, you know, I could open up a second place and own it myself. It was right around the corner. Um, so um, eventually I found a space, and I started getting cold feet. 
it, it was early in um, 2015, 2016, and I had uh, someone who had who's in the slice business already uh, said that you know if I ever needed any help, any advice, he'd be glad to talk with me. So you know I. I went and I sat down with him, and he was very discouraging. He, you sure you want to do this? This is an easy blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was at the time when all four of those places I mentioned before were, you know, lining up to be open. Um, and I said to uh, Drew Brown, who um, uh, said that he wanted to run this place for me, um, I said to him that, you know, maybe this isn't a good idea at this time. I need to be focused on, um, you know, helping these other places open. And Drew said, you don't worry about a thing. I will take care of everything. We're going to do this, okay? So at that point, I, I signed the lease on this space. At first, I was just going to uh, rent half the space um, just for a little slice shop. There was no place to sit down. It was just a few seats. But the landlord said, if I'm going to rent half of it, you have to take the back half that's not on the corner. And I love the corner spot. So um, I said, okay, well, I'll take the whole thing and I'll sublet to somebody. And I called a number of ice cream shops. I, I, I investigated a couple of other possibilities and nothing really was working. And thank God they didn't because I, it turns out I decided to open up like a sports bar in the back. Not really a sports bar. I don't tell the neighbors I said sports bar. Biggest mistake I ever made in my life was saying that I was going to open up a sports bar. But it's a bar. There's six TVs. They're very big. And they always have sports. Unless there's nothing interesting on, then we might put on clips from the 1964-65 World's Fair, uh, Twin Peaks, as suggested by my son and um, some staff members. Last night, uh, Thelma and Louise was on. Um, and it's uh, beyond my wildest dreams. Once again, um, you know, I, I envision wanting to make this a, a vintage slice shop, keeping it, you know, keeping it simple, you know, just serving regular slices, pepperoni, squares, a white pie, uh, and paying tribute to that whole era. And I've had a great time doing it. Uh, I built up a playlist that's very different from uh, my playlist over at 60 Greenpoint, which is more album oriented. Um, I, I finally found a, a term to use rather than deep cuts, which is too much of a dad term. Uh, and the music over here at the Slice Shop is more pop-oriented, but still from the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's been great. I've been, you know, I pay tribute to the Yankees. Um, all of the, the memorabilia in there that's uh, sports-related, um, uh, Yankee yearbooks and such from the 60s and 70s. I do have the halter from a horse called the Pizza Man who retired a year ago and is now having fun with the little girl ponies. Um <laughs> Are the Yankees yearbooks from your personal collection, or you acquired them with the intention to display them in the store? The Yankee yearbooks were all for my personal collection. Cool. I've had them for years. Uh, most of them I bought new at the stadium, but um, I also got a couple of them up in Cooperstown, going through the bins up there of yearbooks. Uh, I have some other uh, Yankee photographs, um, and I have an autograph picture of Ron Guidry gifted to me by Carmine from uh, Carmine's uh, Pizzeria and Sports Bar on Graham Avenue. Um, so, Who's your all-time favorite Yankee? Mickey Mantle was my all-time favorite Mick. Yankee. So, um, And um, 
but I love many, many Yankees. I, I, I just had the great pleasure, thanks to Carmine, he invited me to an event at Yankee Stadium where his friend brings people in um, from Yankee teams, and he brought all Yankees from the 70s in that day. And I got to, to meet my heroes from the 70s. I got to meet Mickey Rivers and Ron Bloomberg, the, the first, the first um, designated history, hitter in baseball history and the first Jewish designated hitter in baseball history to boot. Um, and I got to meet Greg Nettles. Greg was a little chilly, uh, but Mickey Rivers was great. I talked to him about the dog track because I know Mickey loved the dogs. I got to meet uh, Willie Randolph, uh, who was a hero of mine as well. He was like the first Yankee who, who was younger than me who was playing in the major leagues. Um, and most importantly, I got to spend time with Roy White, who everybody was online for Goose Gossage. I didn't even get online. I think it's because he was a Hall of Famer. His autograph is worth more or something. But Roy White was sitting there practically alone, and I got to talk to him for 15 minutes. He's a real gentleman. It was great. But all of the stuff in there, uh, the, you know, there's all the Yankee stuff. I have a couple of pennants. Um, one that I've had since the, probably since the 70s. Um, but another one I did purchase on eBay. I purchased a Yankee garbage can on eBay that I'm going to use as an umbrella stand, umbrella holder as soon as I can screw it into the ground. Um, so that's basically it. I didn't buy too much. Um, I, y Yankees were sponsored by Ballantyne back in the 60s. So I found three, I found two Ballantyne lights. You know, one is neon. The other is just like a light. And the third is a, uh, is a Ballantyne clock with a swinging three-ring pendulum. So I have all three of those things there. And we serve Ballantyne ale. Okay. There you go. So it's truly a Yankee tribute. There's no Mets stuff. At first, <laughs> I even, you know, the place is orange. So uh, Drew Brown, being a big Met fan, uh, I thought that he might, you know, try to sneak some Mets stuff in. So I, I forbid him. I said, you know those world blue recycling cans? We, we can't have those here, okay? There will be no orange and world blue. So... Uh, I will say, Polly, when we were in the slice shop about a half an hour ago, he was wearing a DeGrom shirt. Yes, he was. And if, and if you look closely, you would find a royal blue recycling can because nobody knew that the, the dark green one was recycling despite the logo on it. So I had to acquiesce. Is that the right word? And, and we put that in there. But I, I, I make it clear to everybody, those are Nick's colors, not Mets colors. So. Have any current or former Yankees come into any of your establishments? No. Okay. No, not yet. What are you going to do? I don't know. My wife and I were listening recently to CC Sabathia podcast, and he had Aaron Judge on, and Judge was saying he still hasn't found good pizza in New York. So. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because Scar busted my balls. Can I say balls on here? Yeah. He busted my balls to let me know that he was getting takeout pizza. He was sending takeout pizza to Aaron Judge. He, he texted me, do you know where Aaron Judge lives? I said no. He said, well, I do. He just ordered X number of pies. Well, it's possible. No, no, it wasn't. No, it was after. I know it was. How long ago was it? You listened to it? Spring training was when they Oh, no, no, no. This was before. Definitely. Good. I hope you heard that. Story. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I love it. But I do have um, uh, a jet, a former jet who comes in all the time. I love the guy. 
Um, he wants to give me his jersey, but I'm just I'm not a Jet fan, and, and I don't have anything but Yankees. Well, uh, he wants to give you the jersey with the premise of you putting it up. Or, yeah, okay. yeah, I love the guy. He's so good. Okay. He comes in all the time. Different woman every time. Don't tell the others I said that, but yeah, uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is either. But of course, Joe Namath. No, no, it's not Joe Namath. <laughs> oh, well. well, he's a great guy. He lives in Long Island City. Promised me that he was going to bring in Dylan G when he played for the Mets. And Dylan G never showed up, even though I wore a Dylan G jersey whenever Dylan G was pitching. Okay, I wore a Met jersey, me of all people, right? Um, and uh, every fifth day, my accountant had gotten, and dear friends, not just my accountant, got me the Dylan G jersey. And now he's gone, he's in Japan. Uh, but he never came in. I even wore a Met hat, but it's the only Met hat I'll ever wear. It's a beautiful Met hat. You know what makes it beautiful? What's that? There's a little patch on the side. Okay. The patch represents the 2000 World Series. Okay. It's that a great Met hat. That was a special, uh, special World Series. So we talked about the Slice Shop. We talked about the original Poly G's. I mentioned that there are four other Poly G's locations around the country. Uh, tell me a little bit about how those came about. Well, as I had mentioned earlier, I didn't want to own more than one place. And I realized that, you know, I was an Amway distributor once. And I learned a lot from Amway um, about helping other people. If you help other people succeed, you'll succeed. And I decided to take what I had learned and uh, help other people open up their own spots. And I put the, the legal and financial structure together to make that happen. Uh, many people came to me for advice. And um, a number of people um, who I thought would be a good fit. It all started really with, with Kelly Beckham down in Baltimore. Um, we, we were good friends already. I knew that he loved pizza far more than he loved being an Amaprise financial advisor. And I proposed this to him, and, and we kind of worked on it for a while. And um, that's how it all started. Turns out I had, you know, I wanted to do something in Philly. I still haven't done anything in Philly. I haven't found the right person. Um, and I don't know if I ever will. But um, that's how that started. And, uh, you know, I was contacted by um, Derek Tug in Chicago. He said, you know, he called me for advice. And I just happened to query him about where he was thinking of doing this. He had already had a mobile business. And he said he was thinking about out around Naperville, out in the burbs. You know, he's talking about, you know, disposable income. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I just knew that I wanted to open up in an area like Greenpoint, which has the holy trinity um, of artists, musicians, and tattoos. So and I just said to him, Gee, you know, that's too bad about you know, that because I'm, I'm looking to find somebody who uh, wants to open up in Chicago, maybe uh, Wicker Park. And uh, lo and behold, uh, it didn't take him... Long at all to say, yeah, maybe we could do this thing together. And there we were. Uh, Jason in Miami came to me because um, he had heard about us. I'm not sure he visited us, but he heard about us. And then he also had a friend who worked on the um, stock exchange, Anthony Saparito, who um, had come to me because he had lost his job. And, and if you go out, go on Pizza Quest. He, he chronicles his story. It just came out on September 25th. You want to go and check that out. It's a great story. In any case, he uh, found himself out of work after working on his stock exchange side, you know, besides uh, Jason. And uh, he wound up working with me for a while, and he opened up a place in Madison, New Jersey, Urban Fire. Um, and 
Jason went to him and he heard that he opened it up and Jason had a real passion for pizza and he was curious and and he was talking with Anthony and Anthony said, you know, you should call my friend Paulie G. Uh, he likes, you know, he likes helping guys like you. And Jason came in and we started talking. We hit it off. Uh, he talked about four cities uh, that he might want to uh, do this in because I don't want there to be another wood-fired Paulie G's, you know, in the New York City area. Sure. And uh, that's how that happened. He built a beautiful place in an old Chinese restaurant there that he, he redid and left some of the, uh, you know, some of the stuff there from it. Gorgeous place, just gorgeous. And um, Baltimore, as I mentioned, Kelly uh, wound up opening up a place there and an old Republican club. Um, we tried to keep it that way for a kind of a, you know, an ironic juxtaposition, but we wound up having to tear the whole place apart. It took forever cost a fortune, but he built a place that's just incredible now, a back bar. That's just, he couldn't afford to put beer taps in, so he started serving cocktails, and he created the best cocktail scene in Baltimore. Uh, and then um, in Columbus, I, uh, I had visited Columbus on a job interview or whatever, and I looked around the city. I had some time to kill, and after we opened Paulie G's, I would, whenever anybody said they were from Columbus, I'd, I'd mention the, the neighborhood, the short north, and how nice I thought it was. And I could picture Pooley G's there, and blah, blah, blah. And this one guy says to me one day, you know, if you want to open up a, a Pooley G's in Columbus, I want to be involved. So I wasn't sure what he meant, but I come to find out that he wanted to invest. So in that particular case, I sought out somebody who might be a good fit for that. And that's how I found TJ, who... Uh, unlike everybody else who came from a corporate environment, um, career change, um, TJ came right out of uh, Ohio State Hospitality School. And uh, now they've all been open since uh, 2016. And how often do you make it to each of those locations? Uh, about A couple of times a year for each of them. I, I, I do my best to. I'd like to make it more, but, you know... Um, the, the whole idea of this is having it owned by somebody so they'll treat it like the owner and it'll be in good hands. So, And they, all four of them are in very good hands. And just on like a high level, to the extent you're comfortable sharing, like how does it work with your involvement? Do you get a percentage of sales? Do you they, they pay you a flat fee every they month paid to me use a, a, the Paul they paid me, name? They paid me a minimal fee up front. Okay. Uh, and um, they pay me a percentage of the gross. Okay. And then you, you know, and like building out the restaurants, is that on them or that's that's on you? all on them? Yeah. They, you know, we we talk about locations. I give them advice, um, and but they go and they negotiate the lease with the landlord. They do all of those things, uh, and um, and they go from there. And they're truly the owners. And in terms of like the menu, who has like the final say? That's them. Like, what input do you have on like what they can and cannot serve, and the Poly G's brand and all that kind of stuff? When, when they first start, they, they, um, they're contractually obligated to have at least 50% of the pies that, that we designate. There's certain pies, 60 Greenpoint, that are just, you know, wildly the hits. successful. Yeah. Uh, the Hellboy, the Cherry Jones, the Greenpoint. Uh, all of those need to be on the um, menu. And um, usually at first they'll start off with about three quarters of the pies that we have, and then they have some of their own. And I, I, they need to come up with their own pies because if they don't, they're not going to feel like they own the place. I, the last thing I want is for somebody to feel like they're just a Paulie G's employee because they're not. 
Uh, and, and they've developed some great, great pies over the, the last two, two and a half years. Uh, uh, just if you go on Instagram, they all have their own Instagram account, and you can see the stuff that they're putting out there. And uh, I'm very, very, very proud of what I see there. Um, they, you know, they, they have the recipe they have to follow. They have to keep the oven hot. And you can, it's very clear that they're really knocking it out of the park. Uh, they like to have fun sometimes, and I have this list of prohibitive peas that I wouldn't have on pizza, pasta, pepperoni, um, uh, pesto, but you have, peppers. Don't you have pesto now? Uh, I do have pesto now. Yeah, okay. that's, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. I have a really, really good kale pesto. It's great. Free. It's great. It really is. There's a number of things you said you would never put on pizza that are now on pizza. It's true. <laughs> the pepperoni I held fast with. I put pepperoni on, you know, at the slice shop. That's a different story. But at Paulie G's, it has to be hot supersada. But they do. They have, um, they do this. Um, return to Prince Street down in Miami. Great, great pie with the little roni cups. Everybody loves the roni cups. Uh, we're doing roni cups right now, but we're having Izo Sausage, who makes great roni cups, um, make us some of the bigger, flatter ones. I want them to lie flat at the slice shop. But yeah, there are other things that I put on there. Shishito peppers. I never wanted to put peppers on, no, but those are delicious. Yeah, they really are. I, I, I got tired of tracking them down at Costco. It was, it was a great deal, but they're not always there, and it always stresses me out to have something on the menu that I don't, that I can't serve. So. Um, tell me about the names of your pies that are uh, kind of quirky. Where do those come from? Well, I was greatly inspired by Roberta's when it came to that. I was greatly inspired by a lot of things at Roberta's. Uh, I really love that place. And the, the pies, they had some great names at Jesus Christ, um, Millennium Falco. Um, I forget what other names, but I always, I, it was cool to have kind of names like that. There were other places that did that as well, but at the time we were opening, Roberta's was, you know, doing that. And that's where I came with, up with some of the names. And, and it's, a, it's a lot of fun coming up with the names. I like to be the first one. I liked it to be music-oriented when at all possible, but um, not always. And, and if I don't come up with a name, um, you know, I throw it out to the staff, throw it out to former dishwasher a AJ. Out in, he's now out in California somewhere. He's like a last resort before I throw it out to the uh, to our guests. I put it out on Instagram, and people will suggest names. That's always fun. But. Now, I would assume normally you come up with a pie and then try to name it. Is there Has there ever been a scenario where you came up with a great name for a pie and then decided to create a pie based on the name? Um, I think there was. I, I don't recall exactly which one there was, though. Um, my, my really my saddest story, though, is... Um, we came up with a pie, came up with a name that was so clever. Um, and I loved the name. The pie sucked. Okay? What was what was the pie? It was a pie. It didn't suck, but it was just kind of bland. It was a pie with spaghetti squash on it. Okay. And lemon juice. Okay. Okay. And, and fresh mutts. Uh, spaghetti squash, it was, it was a pain in the ass to make too with the fork. And, you know, you have to... So, because of the spaghetti... We called it the Sergio and the lemon, the Sergio Lemone. Sergio Leone was the one who did spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood, so I thought that was very clever. And the, and the fact that there was lemon juice on there rather than call it the Sergio Leone, we called it Sergio Lemone. I really thought it was the most clever name we ever came up with. And we just 
I couldn't use it. What are you gonna do? How long did that last? Um, that not like long. A, like a one one night only pie. Maybe two weeks, <laughs> and then that was it. Nobody was ordering it. The the other pie that uh, had an interesting name story was the, we had a pie called the Inregata de Vida, okay, um, which had ricotta on it. Ricotta post oven and dollops, right? right. Yeah, post oven. Never put never put ricotta on pre oven. Yeah. Never ever ever. Um, and uh, we called it uh, the um, Inregata de Vida. It was it was a sort of a tribute to Jim Leahy's uh, pie. He had a, a pie with stracciatella and arugula, no sausage on it, but this one had sausage as well. And um, then we came up with another pie, a vegan pie, uh, in regatta de vegan, and it was the same pie with cashew regatta and our vegan sausage. However, there was too many opportunities for a vegan to get the the one, the Imregata de Vida, rather than the Imregata de Vegan. And the last thing I ever want to do is feed an animal product to somebody who is vegan. Uh, but more importantly, there was opportunity for somebody who had a nut allergy to get the Imregata de Vegan with the cashew regatta, and um, I had to change the name. And um, for the longest time, our dear friend, uh, Mary Ann Loria, um, wanted to name a pie, kept on bugging me, bugging me. I got the perfect name, the Ricky Ricotta, the Ricky Ricotta. You got to come up with something for Ricky Ricotta. So we changed the name to Ricky Ricotta. All right. Okay? <laughs> and another one, just real quick. Uh, I had a pie called uh, um, Marcella Matriciana. It was like a pie with uh, bacon sauce, like a Matriciana sauce. And um, the way I created the sauce was uh, a takeoff on a recipe by Marcella Hazan, we had a cookbook called Classic Italian Cooking where you just throw the onion, a whole onion in the sauce, and a, a whole stick of butter, and you cook it. I decided add thick strips of bacon. You know, when you take the onion out of the sauce, you also take out the thick strips of bacon. So I came up with Marcella Matriciana. I thought it was a really clever name. had a nice ring to it. Everybody couldn't pronounce it, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I did a contest, and, and our friend Johnny Cirillo um, came up with Feel Like Bacon Love. So we called it that, and for years we had to explain to people that there was no bacon on the pizza. It was just cooked into the sauce. I got tired of doing that. We've now moved it back to the Marcella Matriciana. <laughs> have you seen when you in scenarios where you've changed the name of a pie that the name itself can have an impact on the you know extent that people order it? Or that's not no, something. No, I that haven't changed would... that many, and, yeah. and no, no, I haven't. Um, you mentioned your vegan pizza, so that I feel like over the years has, you know, grown a lot to encompass a lot more pies. Um, you know, how big of a business is that for you? Huge. Yeah. I, you know, it started out, I just knew that there was, um, you know, there were a number of vegans in the community. I wanted to, to service them. And, uh, we started with, you know, ask us about our vegan variations. Nobody asked. Service didn't suggest. So I, I took the initiative and, um created a vegan menu we had a few pies and it's been a great hit you know we now carry vegan ice cream from van lewin we carry uh vegan desserts from sweet solace and uh we we're really uh very well received by the vegan community we use numu cheese um which is a cheese you're going to hear a lot more about very soon because they're about to get a nationwide distribution deal 
Uh, we also use to get it in stores to consumers or to be available at more establishments. Yes, according to them, yes. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> um, and we use Folly Hot Palm. We're gonna we have a pie over there now with caramelized onion and Folly Hot Palm. It's just uh, it's sort of like a takeoff on a Svincione. And we're gonna do it here. We're about to introduce Sicilian. Uh, we have a test batch downstairs. Um, our Sicilians were finally ready to introduce, and we're going to have one there, very much like a svincione with caramelized onions and just a sauce, mm. which we call a vegan sauce, because rather than just the tomatoes, we, we cook this sauce to give it more flavor, since, you know, there's a lack of some flavor in some vegan pies. Uh, we're going to have that. So, um, the, you know, we, we continue to reach out to the vegan community and, and, and do our best to make them happy. I'm sure you get this question a lot, but along those lines, uh, do people often ask you whether or not you're ever going to have gluten-free pizza at Poly G's? Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a frequently asked um, section on our website. I, I don't know if I did this for a quote-unquote flagship, but at the Slice Shop, one of the questions is, do you have gluten-free options and the answer to the faq is we have soda <laughs> um there, there's a there is a chance we may go in that direction uh i always felt that it was difficult you know too difficult to get it to be as good as what we're serving but um in chicago derek tung has hit it out of the park with his gluten-free pizza it's it's incredible he even won you know, I always discourage competitive food, but he went and he um, he entered the, the Caputo Cup or the U.S. Cup in Chicago, got first place, won a trip to Palmer to the international competition with his gluten-free Sicilian. It is really freaking good. Uh, great help from my buddy out in uh, Vegas, Vinny Vegas, um, good at uh, Good Pie. Uh, Vinny Rotolo. He was a tremendous help to us. As he was here in the slice shop, he made a trip all the way from Vegas solely to come and help us open and gave us a tremendous amount of help. That's so if awesome. you're ever in Vegas, go to, go to the Porn Plaza. That's not P-O-R-N. That's P-A-W-N. And he's in there. He has a tremendous New York style uh, slice shop. They have Great lots of stuff. different slices, right? They have a whole... Yes. You got to go check them out when you're in Vegas, okay? He does the Brooklyn thing. He pumps up Brooklyn, and um, now I pump up Vegas here. We have a picture of him over our walker, which he was tremendously helpful in organizing for us when we opened. That's awesome. Uh, you're, you know, you frequent lots of other pizza establishments. Well, how often do you eat pizza? As often as possible. I love eating pizza. It's not for research. Um, I just love pizza. Um, you know, I do my best not to always eat it, but, you know, well, I love going to Joe's, you know. What was the last slice you had that wasn't from yourself? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. It must have been a couple of days ago. Yeah. Right. Um, I go a lot. I love Joe's. I love Scars. I love New Park. Um, I love a place out in Williston Park. If you're out on Long Island, make your way to Gino's of Williston Park and check out their, their Upside Down Sicilian. Um great slice who else's pizza do i love i don't know i love all kinds of pizza yeah um 
Yeah, I don't remember where the last one was, but it wasn't long ago. All right. I want to ask you, in the early days of Pauly G's, you were in the kitchen every night for a pretty brief period of time. Uh, when did you decide to, you know, was that the vision originally that you were going to be making every pie, and when did that kind of change? You're really good at this. <laughs> this is, really, you're great at this. We've known each other for a long time. I know, but you're asking really great questions. Well, I appreciate that. Um, my vision was that I had to be making the pizza. The people I wanted to be like, other than Roberta's, and I did idolize Roberta's, um, the owner of the place was the one making the pizza. Dom at um, the Farah, Mark, uh, Mark Iacono at La Cale, Chris Bianco, Pizzeria Bianco. Um, Una Pizza. Was Una Pizza there. Napolitana. They were the only ones making the pizza, so I thought that was the secret. So um, I had friends and family night, and then I had you know the first night, and I was overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed. Um, it was, first of all, you know, I didn't do the math, but I stood there and did the math, realizing we had like 65 seats, and they had, all of them had like less than 35 seats, and I realized why it was so hard to keep up. Uh, but I continued doing it. I got more pizza makers. Uh, I always stayed at the front as an homage to um, Lucale. I built the pizza table facing out with candles on it. Not that I think I'm priestly, but it was sort of like, you know, the... The, the priest looking over his congregation. And I was always up front stretching. I stretched and topped. I had someone inside stretching and topping. Um, but we eventually, um, it got to be too much. You know, one of the things that I loved to do was talk to people. They loved to talk to me. And it was hard for me to do that. And I kept on doing my best to do that. But, you know, I'd go out to talk to somebody. And then we'd get backed up. So eventually... Um, um, we got wine and beer. We got really busy, really busy. Because for the first five and a half months, we didn't have alcohol at all. People just ate their pizza and got out of there. And yeah, well, they didn't come either because <laughs> they couldn't drink. They couldn't because you couldn't BYO. Right? I, the place was quite busy. <laughs> uh, believe me, the day, the weekend yeah. that we got our wine and beer license, everything doubled. Yeah, it really did, and it got to be well, too much revenue, the, especially. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, and the pizza maker started sending me. I go ahead, go ahead. We got it. We got it covered. So I just hired an extra pizza maker, and I stopped doing that. And they make better pizza than me anyway. You know, it was it was it was it was rough. It was rough. So, but now I'm I'm much happier. I love talking to people. You know, it, it's hard. You're trying to make a pizza, and you got to go change a light bulb. It, it just is. You know, it's difficult. And believe me, there are many times people ask me. I remember coming in one day, my, my daytime prep prep cook. First thing he says to me is, Paulie, the light bulb is out in the, in the basement. And it's like, what? <laughs> what do you want me to do about it? Well, I can attest to your, uh, you know, hands-on-ness with the shops. When we met up earlier, you were nailing uh, a new album into the wall Louis Cream is the wildest yes you know my pizza is good it's better than when Jason when you you and Adam came in the first time okay it's, it's well, I've been back much but yeah, better yeah. okay um, you know we're just feeling our way you know we never made this kind of pizza before we didn't um, have the luxury of being able to practice for a month especially high volume but there's more to it than that I know that when you know people come into my place at 60 Greenpoint it, it's it's more than just it's for the music it's for the atmosphere and that's important and I really you know it, it's it's so great to look at it and see what I created um, 
And the same thing with the slice shot. Uh, when, I, when, the, when the first pictures came out, I mean, I knew what the place looked like, but they put it out on Eater, um, and I just, it, it, I felt so good about what I created. I mean, and, and people were like criticizing me for this. Oh, you know, it's just like another slice shop, or you have to go do that. There's 20 places like that around. You know, I wanted to pay tribute to that whole thing. I thought that, you know, um, people would like that. So You mentioned the music. Well, you mentioned the ambiance. You talked about the music a little. It's a little more poppier at the Slice Shop. How many songs are on the uh, playlists now at uh, 60 Greenpoint as well as the Slice Shop? Until I, until I resync the iPod, there's 4,685 songs on, at 60 Greenpoint. So how long would that take to get through? A single loop. <laughs> you got to do the math. Long time. It's right. funny. You have to. Uh, it's very frustrating because um, I put it on random, and I try to get it to play all the way through because you know sometimes the thing jams. You have to redo it. I have them hit the pause button at the end of the night so it picks up where it left off. And we went. It took weeks. It took weeks to get through forty six hundred songs. I'm sure. A couple of times that we actually did make it because if you don't, some songs will never play. I want to make sure that every song on there gets to play. Right. You got like maybe 150 songs a day. I tons, guess. It's you five know, hours, it's, right? It's a month. It's, you know? Let's say six hours. Six, uh, you know, an average song is four minutes. Right. Over there, probably uh, at least four minutes. Yeah, talking yeah. about 100 songs a day. Do the math. Yeah. Um, months. Yeah. <laughs> so over, over at the Slice Shop, it's much more difficult to get the more pop-oriented songs, you know, you can't put a whole album on uh, in almost every case. Uh, I, I've reached out, you know, like gotten regional. This great music out there that was never even heard in the New York area. Um, just great stuff. There's music from the Carolinas. called They call it beach music, I think, because they didn't want to tell their parents they were listening to black music at the time, okay? They called it beach music, and there's some great R&B uh, down there and different areas, and uh, but still, I'm only up to eighteen hundred and something songs, and you know I'm desperate to find more. I get excited every time I do. We're gonna add some more. I don't want to say disco, uh, more early seventies pre-disco disco. Uh, we're gonna uh, add in there. I have plenty already, but we're gonna get more. So. Did you think at any point about getting a jukebox? I did. I really did. Uh, I was gonna get a jukebox. I had it picked out. Um, I went up to see it, and um, it was beautiful. The world, it was gorgeous. Up in uh, Old Tapan or Tapan, New York or something. And the guy also had a pitching bat baseball machine. An old, you know, it looks like a pinball machine, but it's baseball. And I was going to buy both of those things. And um, the guy got the pitching bat fixed. But he said he was still trying to get the guy to come over to fix the jukebox. And then I, you know, and, and I wasn't ready to take it either because the place wasn't ready yet so he was just holding it there but the guy was going to come and I didn't hear from him for two months maybe maybe a little less so finally I called and oh yeah the guy came in who was going to fix it he said you know I could fix it but I couldn't guarantee it so I wound up selling it to him so this scumbag okay convinced this guy that it wasn't worth it and he bought the friggin thing and now it's you know he's enjoying it somewhere and the pitching bat machine, I just said the hell with it at yeah. that point, right? <laughs> uh, but it turns out to be a godsend because um, going through things in my house in Jersey, um, because we're, we're planning on selling the house, um, I found, I remembered I had 
my old Atari 2600 console and a bunch of games. And I got the idea that I could get an old TV and I could put that there instead of the jukebox. And I, in fact, through Kevin Daly, who's the commish of the uh, Brooklyn Kickball League, um, he and his brother owned their parents' old TV. It was out in Roselle Park, New Jersey or someplace. I went there and I picked up his console. I brought it and we got it to work on Channel 3. We hooked up the Atari, which still works. Uh, the screen's a little fuzzy, but it has been an overwhelming success. Everybody loves the fact that I got this thing. And, and, and Vinny Vegas, he pointed out that I should tell the story and let people know that this was the Atari console that I bought shortly after we got married in 79, and I used to play in my, our apartment. Uh, so That's that took awesome. the place of the jukebox, and yeah. that ain't going nowhere. People say, oh, you know, you'll need more for people to stand while they're waiting for the slices or something. What about this area? Blah, 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 blah. That's I in said, a good that spot. And ain't going nowhere. Yeah. If you come in, check it out. If not, go on Eater and check out Alex's photos. It's one of the shots. It's also uh, food photographer extraordinaire uh, Daniel Krieger, I believe, took shots of it. Uh, he took some great pictures of the place. If you wonder what the place looks like, get out there and check it out. Grub Street did some great photos. Um, and some of these photos you've shared on your social media pages. I have. I have okay. to give credit to those people. I do. Yeah, you need to yeah, go yeah. on Paulie G's Slice. Actually, Paulie G's Slice Shop is just Andrew or Drew, you know, pictures of his pizza. I encouraged him. I said, look, I put all this stuff out there. I said, repost it. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's too busy making pizza to do any of that. So what are you <laughs> going to do? Too busy scheduling people and this and that. But you could go on Paulie G to see a lot of it too. Tell me about your social media strategy. You're a frequent poster. Do you know how many Instagram posts you've made? Yeah, it's about maybe 14,000 now, I think, something like that. 10,100. Oh, okay. I was going to say my, my, my posts and my followers kind of run hand in hand, sort of like a New York City, the price of a New York City slice in a subway. Thing. Yeah, okay. But um, my strategy is it's my life. It's not, you know, if you look at other things, like Drew is an example, it's just he posted pizza. He doesn't post different things that he does and things like that. I just put stuff out there. Um, you know, same, same thing with the Short North. Paulie G Short North. It's all pizza. Beautiful looking pizza. But, you know, I've never spent a dime on um, social media. Marketing, I mean, on uh, PR. Yeah. I was going to. I was talked out of it by, pretty much by Adam Kuban. I asked him, you think I need to hire a PR person? Because I was looking. I... Uh, I interviewed well, he was at a couple Slice at the them. time. He said, I'll post something and then it'll take off from there. Yeah. <laughs> Shari Bayer, um, who has a, has a great podcast on Heritage Radio, by the way. Uh, I was thinking about hiring her. And it just turned out I just I just did it on my own and it worked. People came to me. It's so funny now. Scar, you know, Scar can be a little, you know, envious sometimes. He makes the greatest pizza in the city, the best slice. But he's a little competitive, Okay. So he asked me, who's your, who's your PR person? You know, I told him, I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Because all of a sudden, all of these people are coming and, you know, writing articles about the slice shop, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's all, you know, the, the more you reach out, I, I do not advertise. If you advertise and you're telling people, you know, you need them more than they need you. And, and I do, but I don't want them to think that. I want them to think that they need me, right? Right. Well, also, whether it was intentional or unintentional, 
prior to 60 Greenpoint opening, you were part of the pizza community already. So there was this tight-knit group of you know, people who you know, you'd build relationships with. Um, that certainly, I think, you know, helped when... Abs uh, absolutely. You know. I, you know, I wanted... I was making pizza for them. I was making pizza for you, Jason. I was making pizza for Adam. I wanted you guys to see the pictures of my pizza. I wanted you to come and eat. Um, and so, you know, I post stuff out there. I post stuff on Slice. You know, I just um, did that. And, I, you know, I owe, I owe a lot of this and the way it took off to Slice. You know, and everybody on there who, who supported me. Uh, Adam, you know, it was my goal to get Adam to come to my house. And, you know, I, I did. Yeah, in a roundabout way and you know it really helped great do you remember the first time that we met first place I believe the first place I met Jason I believe was at a pizza blogger meetup at Roberta's I think that was rounded up by Laura Vincelli is that right or I got that wrong you got that wrong it was a meetup it was not it was at Nomad Pizza. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I, I was not at Roberta's for that. <laughs> oh, you weren't at Roberta's? Why wasn't okay. I invited? I don't know. You okay. got to talk to Laura. Okay. Lauren. <laughs> not Laura. Lauren. You got to talk to her. She had a blog, Pizzalicious. Okay. It's defunct, apparently. Well, this was Nomad. You were there. Scott was there. Passion for Pizza. Brooke was there. That was uh, great. Yeah, it was, was really great. great. Adam was uh, there. What's, what's her name from New Jersey was there. Stacy Snacks. Uh, Fam Doc was there. It's all documented on YouTube, actually. Yeah, I think Sean Taylor might have made a video. Sean Taylor, Sean Taylor was there. Yeah. So this um, was like October, I think, two thousand nine. Exactly when it was. So that was about a year after I Dream of Pizza had started. Mm -hmm. I, you know, went back into my email archives, and I have. Don't worry, it's not embarrassing. The first email you ever sent me. You want me to read it to you? Absolutely. <laughs> so the subject line is Pizza Clubs. And it says, hi, I just happened upon your blog, and I'm interested in learning about your pizza gatherings. As you can see from my Flickr page, I do qualify as a pizza enthusiast. I attempted to subscribe to your email list, and I got an error message. Please help. Thanks. Polly G. March 24th, 2009. 2009. <laughs> March wow. 24th, 2009. So that was just three or four months after the wow. blog launched. You had a pizza club? Every month, I would get friends together to go to different uh, pizza places. This so is that's a sort pizza of how... blog. Well, Adam did the same thing. And I remember contacting Adam about that. <laughs> and he said, oh, too many people. Okay. Too many people coming. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here, I, would, I want to talk about Mike's Hot Honey. Um, you know, tell me about that. That's a product that was basically birthed in your shop and now is available all over the country, all over the world. Um, you, know. you know, there are a number of things that I did to bond with the community. Um, one was to hire the guys that built my place. Uh, number two was build relationships with local um, purveyors, local artisans. Uh, rooftop um, Farms, Eagle Street Rooftop Farms was one. Um, I had gone to a food-centric uh, uh, fair at a church over at McCarrick Park. McGorlick Park. McCarrick Park. Get that. I, I combined two Greenpoint parks into, into a Jersey Bishop. Um, and I, I, one of the people, you know, I was just looking to bomb the community. It was before we opened. I was looking to make friends and let people know we're opening up a pizzeria. 
And I met a guy named uh, Ross who made bacon marmalade. And I invited him in. Maybe we do a collaboration. And he came in and we did this pie with his bacon marmalade. And um, one day, you know, one of the other things that I did was I invited people. You know, I was looking for ways to keep my pizzeria running without spending a lot of money. Yeah, I knew there were people out there that wanted to learn how to make pizza, wanted to, willing to do anything. So I invite people in to learn how to make pizza and you know do other things, uh, you know, in return. And one night, Mike, um, Mike Kurtz, introduced himself, says that he's making pizza at home. He'd love to um, make pizza here. He tells a different story than than I remember. Okay, and I call him on it all the time. But now I'm thinking maybe I had a previous discussion with him that I don't remember, but I don't think so. I think he came in, he told me what to make pizza, I set it up for him to meet with my son, my son uh, Derek, who was my, my first pizza maker, was going to teach him how to make pizza. Come in Wednesday, 4 o'clock, and um, as I was walking away, he says, oh, I'm going to bring my condiment. I said, condiment? What condiment? Uh, you'll see. So he came in with a jar of uh, Mike's Hot Honey, his only goal wasn't to make pizza, wasn't a 10 bar, um, which two of the things he did do with Paulie G's for quite a, quite a while before he snaked out and didn't do it anymore. He did even make salad once. He wasn't into being a salad guy. But it was all to get his hot honey on a pizza. We put it on a pie called the Del Boy, which is named after my son, and it eventually became the uh, the Hellboy. And it's a cult favorite, and it's just, it's just fantastic. He started in my kitchen making the hot honey because... He couldn't, I couldn't serve something he made in his home. And uh, we went from there. And then uh, Roberta's um, kind of copied it with the beast thing and then tried to claim that their pie, you know, came before um, the uh, Hellboy. But we know that wasn't the case. It's, and particularly that was Anthony Falco that did that, another very competitive person. Okay. <laughs> um, so there you go. Nice. You mentioned, you know, Roberta's and Scar's and New Park and some of your favorite spots. If you could bring back one pizzeria that no longer exists, what would that be? Ooh. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. All right. I stumped uh, Polly. Uh, you know, there was one place. I wish I could go back to it. Yeah. It was where the pizza cognition theory uh, occurred for me. Um there was a little place called Sal's on McDonald Avenue right near church. That's the first place I remember having pizza, and I just loved that pizza. There was also, now now the fountain is flowing here now, okay? <laughs> there was a place called Scarola's. It okay. was a restaurant on Church Avenue next to the Beverly Theater. Um, my, my friend Kevin Riley, my oldest friend, uh, who I was out of touch with for many years, his father used to come home on Friday nights with a box of pizza from um, Scarola's. And I, and I always remember him walking by our apartment on the first floor upstairs, and I'd smell that pizza. There's no smell better to me than pizza in a, in a clay pizza box. I, I just recently found out that they call them clay boxes as opposed to corrugated. That smell to me is tremendous, and that was Scarola's. Um, and there was another place on 13th Avenue that I never had their, their bar pies called Red's. It was an Italian restaurant. They made they were legendary for their great bar pies. Never had that. I'd love for that to come back so I could sample the original one there. So great question. Um, one last question I have for you. 
Um, how often do you look at like Yelp reviews and Foursquare? Every time and... I get a Yelp review, I don't I don't have a feed from Foursquare. Yeah, I don't look at Foursquare. I don't look at Google. I don't think I get any notifications, but I get notifications from Yelp. Reviews. Does it drive you crazy? I used to love it until I opened a slice shop. Now they think you know I don't know what their freaking problem is, but I think I'm being sabotaged. But um, you know, no, I, you know, it, it always balances itself out. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you read it and say, "Oh, that's a good point." I, you know, we have room to improve there. Or are you yes, like this yes. person just didn't get it? Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I look and I examine: Does this person really mean it, or is it somebody who just doesn't know shit from Shinola about pizza? Because that does occur sometimes. They they don't understand the the, the nature and character of a Neapolitan inspired pizza, and you know, it's not crisp. Okay. But, you know, uh, there are times when things aren't right, and I correct them. Um, I'll never respond to anybody unless it's to apologize. Okay, I don't want to give the impression that I'm working the Yelp crowd by, you know, liking a comment and blah, blah, blah. But I, I do, you know, if we did something wrong, I'm first to apologize. And other than that, I, you know, I do use that, that feedback. It's important. Makes sense. Polly, this was awesome. You're the best. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat, to share all these stories, and uh, you know, it's, no, been, it's been my uh, pleasure. It's... You know, Anna, like I said, one last thing, and then we can wrap this up. My most surreal memory, my most surreal moment in this this crazy quest of mine. I know where okay, you're going with this. Is, was when Jason <laughs> was um, attending Columbia. He couldn't get into a good school, so he went to the Columbia Graduate School of Business, and he created this forum one day and he invited um, me and Scott from Scott's Pizza Tours and a woman who documented uh, the fire, made a great documentary yep. about Dom DeMarco, invited us to speak at the Columbia Graduate School of Business at like a lunchtime forum or something. Yep. And I had to sit there and here are these people who, you know, are going to graduate school, the greatest, you know, one of the greatest graduate schools for business anywhere, and I'm telling them what to do, and basically I'm telling them, don't waste your parents' money if you don't have a passion for it. And I couldn't talk. I was choked up, and, you know, I'll never forget that. And I'll never, you know, I'm always grateful for you for inviting me. Of course. Well, I guess it's a good thing you didn't get choked up today. <laughs> it is. I didn't get choked up. I'm doing better with that. So. I didn't do my job then, so. Well, thank you, Polly. Uh this was a awesome debut episode, and uh, hopefully it's the start of many, many more uh, All Things Pizza podcast episodes. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you soon.